This episode is powered by Safety FM. The Crucial Talks Podcast with your host, Mike Saddam. Hello, and welcome back to the Crucial Talks Podcast. I'm Mike Saddam, your guide on this journey to understand what drives people. If you could do me a quick favor, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast, review it, and subscribe to it. That would help tremendously. Also, if you have any questions for me, please feel free to reach out to me by visiting crucialtalks.com or through email, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. Today, we get to talk to Christian Harris. Now, Christian is a slip safety expert, and you may be asking yourself, is a slip safety expert aligned with the purpose of the Crucial Talks podcast, which is to understand what drives people. Now, after I talked to Christian, I knew he would be a fit. And I think we can learn from him about techniques and products to reduce the chance of a slip and fall. I know we can do that. And I know it can help us on our properties and our businesses at the tactical level. But I think we can get much more value from Christian's experience and expertise with a number of organizations. I mean, he's going into places, communicating with different types of people, having them change the lens through which they look at their own organizations. He's helping them become aware of risks and helping them to see ways to deal with those risks. Now, he's not only counted on as an expert with regard to materials and cleaning techniques and other things that reduce the chance of an accident, but he does need to interact with people at all levels, from the CEO to field personnel. And this gives him a tremendous amount of insight and experience that we can learn from on how to deal with people. Now, he also needs to have a systems view of organizations. He is there to help because not all organizations are the same. Not all properties are the same. And he's got to have this broader based view of things when he's dealing with all these different people. So without further ado, Let's welcome the Managing Director of Slip Safety Services, Christian Harris. How are you doing today, Christian? I'm very well, thanks, Mike, and thank you for the uh, introduction. Um, let's hope I can live up to that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you can. After talking to you, your, your experience is quite varied, which is what I'd like you to talk to us a little bit about now is how did you get to be a slip safety expert? What does the journey look like to get you from there to here when you're going into all these organizations trying to help them out. How did you get to this place? How did you get to this job? How did you get to this career where you're doing this? And what did that look like for you? Well, I always uh, hate to say that I fell into it, but it's kind of true. Um, excusing the, the pun. Um, I, uh, when I was at university, I was kind of always quite entrepreneurial and I had a few different um, business ideas and entrepreneurial activities I got involved in including something in the online poker industry, which was quite interesting as a bit of a precursor because it, um, it helped me to, to think about people factors and risk factors and, um, you know, probabilities of, of things happening. So I think to some extent that was quite good training um, to lead me to where I got to. I then did a, a few years as a management business consultant. So we were kind of helping uh, private equity firms uh, on whether they should invest in certain companies or not, looking at it from a kind of commercial um, perspective. Um, so again, 
looking at things like customer satisfaction and getting to speak to and do primary research with quite senior people in all sorts of different industries. And then after doing that for a few years, I kind of wanted to get my hands a bit dirty, shall we say, and do something in a, in a, in a quote-unquote real business. And I came across this kind of opportunity in this world because there was a big um, unsold need uh, and a big unsolved issue, really, based on kind of the statistics, which I'm sure we'll talk about in terms of accident numbers and costs and things like that. And, of course, the human cost as well, which is pretty significant. Um, so, yeah, I've been in this world for the last uh, eight or nine years now. Well, I find this pretty interesting. So you went to school, you're entrepreneurial, you get into the, you get into poker of all yep. things and the <laughs> online poker industry. Now, I find it really interesting that you brought these things up. You brought up the fact that that skill set, that experience, that knowledge that you earned from doing that lets you think about people and risk and probabilities. And what I find interesting about that is what you're doing now, because what you're doing now with, with slip safety is really about people because there's, they're the ones that are falling down, the risk they deal with and the probabilities of that risk. So it's kind of a cool little segue that you went from, from being a a poker player and and doing online poker stuff. And, but to take that, that kind of knowledge and the, that lens through which you get to view the world and applying it to something, something like slips. That's really interesting. So when we're talking about that, what is the risk and what is this probability that we're dealing with when we're talking about workplace accidents or, or customers falling or that sort of thing? What are, we, what are we talking about? What's the risk there? What are the, what's the probability of that happening? What is the actual danger that occurs in that arena? Well, it's, uh, it's certainly in the UK, it's the biggest cause of accident in the workplace in the majority of sectors. Um, it's the biggest cause of people uh, being admitted to the emergency room in hospital. Um, other than if they're going back in as a result of, you know, they've already been in hospital and something else has happened and they're, and they're returning. But if it's a kind of a standalone event, it's the biggest, um, the biggest cause. Uh, over 300,000 admissions a year, one and a half million um, hospital bed days a year. So, you know, it's a very high frequency event. Um, but I think, uh, and I'm sure we'll touch on this, but there's a, there's a bit of a perception issue because of the fact that it is uh, a high frequency event, but, but seen as maybe not the most serious kind of accident that, that someone could have um, and not helped by things like you know, movies and um, comedian uh, sort of slipping over and falling over. And, and, and it doesn't sort of help the perception of it really. But I think actually, if you look at it, um, in black and white, you know, it's quite a big issue. Um, I saw something recently that suggested that in the US, the slip trip fall cost equated to something like 1% of GDP. Um, I don't think it's quite as high as that in the UK, but it's only in the billions of pounds a year. So yeah, it, it's a big issue. Well, and I find this interesting because in the safety world, the things that actually cause people to be to be killed are usually different than the things that cause them to be injured. But the things that cause them to be injured, that's a pretty big pool of, of things. And so when you're talking about 1% of GDP, now 1% doesn't sound like a lot, but 1% of a number as big as GDP, that's, that's a big number. huge. Yeah. 
It's a very big number. And what I found interesting, what you said, is that there is this perception issue that we can get into now, since you mentioned it. I think it's a great time to talk about it, because you're talking about the fact that slips and falls are a high-frequency event, but they're not seen as important. I mean, I can go onto Facebook right now and look at some of the the viral videos, and there's people slipping on ice and falling and all that, and it's it's sold as comedy. It's sold as something funny. But in reality, it does have a real cost to it. Mm. But I understand that the perception may not be that it's as bad as things that will cause a fatal accident. So when you're when you're talking about perception, how do you see this as a perception issue? And what can you do to shift people's perception to see an issue? I mean, we talk about issues all the time, Slips is just a an example of one issue we could talk about, but perception of issues really goes down to how people see things or how people are going to react to them. So what is this perception issue and how do we deal with it? Yeah. Well, firstly, don't get me wrong, I love watching a video of a dog slipping on ice um comically as much as as much as anybody. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think I think look, what I try to do is um, use kind of emotive language and emotive messaging uh, and try to bring that um, seriousness out because if you speak to people what you'll find typically is that they've always got a story regarding somebody slipping tripping or falling whether that's themselves um, or themselves sorry or whether it's somebody close to them um, if you start talking to them about some of the things that can happen you know, they'll 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 say, oh yeah, well that happened to me, or I nearly slipped over here, or my brother actually slipped over here, or you know, I was speaking to a, a client recently, and she'd actually been on holiday, and her husband had slipped over in a bathtub. Uh, he'd cut his head. He'd had a what she uh, thought was a, a concussion um, just before Christmas. A very close friend of mine, who was actually 32 weeks pregnant at the time. Um, slipped over and she quite seriously broke her ankle in three uh, places. Um, so, you know, just two examples from my own personal world in the last uh, three or four months um, that, that bring it home. So I think if you can try to uh, get people to think about the fact that, you know, 95% of these serious slips are leading to at least a broken bone, um, you know, that's that's pretty significant. And um, if you can get people to think about, well, actually, that could have been me or that that reminds me of somebody that I know or a story that I've heard, that's, um, that's quite powerful, I think. Well, and I think you hit a good point here because you talked about the need to use emotive language and emotive messaging to bring out the seriousness because we could throw out a statistic sheet of data and you have all that information. You know the cost of it. You know how many there are. You know the percentages. But that doesn't seem like just that data alone will drive people to decision-making, will drive people to change anything. You really use that data to tell the story. And that story, from what I hear you saying, has to have some sort of emotion to it. It has to have some sort of realness to the person you're, you're talking to about it. Is that what you see in your experience? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that counts for not just slips and falls, but but just broader health and safety. I mean, I, I arranged a, a kind of a health and safety risk management roundtable last summer. And one of the key messages that came out of that was that we as a health, safety and risk management community 
focus a lot on the return on investment and the costs and the insurance premiums and the insurance claims and all of this stuff. But actually, fundamentally, it's about people here. And, you know, we're in this world of, of health and safety to stop people getting hurt. And sometimes that gets kind of forgotten or pushed on the back burner a little bit to the expense, to the extent of, uh, sorry, to the expense of, um, of costs. And, and, you know, that's probably not really the best way of looking at it. Well, and that, that seems pretty interesting. So you did this roundtable with a bunch of different health and safety professionals, and you guys talked about this focus on return on investment, on ROI, costs, insurance, but then everybody was able to come back to the core of all of this, which is it's about the people. And sometimes I think in a lot of our organizations where we're talking about safety, we do focus on the data. We focus on those metrics that are really easy to capture, relatively easy to capture, hmm. but it really doesn't go to the core of what you're talking about, which is if we, if it's actually about the people, if we actually have a focus on the people, the, the people at the, at the core of what we're doing, the workers, the people at the pointy end of the stick, uh, or our customers, people that are actually feeling the impact of our decisions and of the issues we face in organizations, that's truly the important part of it. And everything else can come from that. I mean, if we deal with the people in a proactive, positive, strength-based way, the ROI, the cost, the insurance, the data, the, all this stuff we track will kind of follow along. It should follow, yeah. Mm. Well, with that, that notion of people, that it's about the people, when you go into an organization, when you first start talking to companies how do you actually approach them? Does it take a focus on data to get your foot in the door? Or are you seeing better ways to communicate when you first engage with a company, when you're talking about these safety issues? What have you seen to be a benefit to how you start communicating with them? I think it helps to be working alongside some of the insurers, for sure, um, because they will help to kind of open the door in a um, perhaps a more open-minded way from the prospect's perspective. I think if you, uh, everybody's aware of, of slips and falls as being a big issue, I think. And, but, but if you speak to somebody kind of out of the blue and say, you know, I help people to understand this more and then to do things about it and we can halve your accident rate, um, quite often you'll hear, oh, we don't have a problem with that. Um, and you kind of know that statistically that can't be the case. Uh, so uh, it, it certainly helps with uh, a warm introduction. But I mean, I think what we try to do is is kind of demystify some of the um, uh, misperceptions or misunderstandings around this particular subject. So, for example, the fact that you can scientifically measure and quantify how slippery a floor surface is means that if you take it down to the human level, if you can explain to somebody and, and demonstrate to them that on this floor in their kitchen, they um, have quite a good surface and they're only relying on less than one in a million people to have to self-address in order not to slip. Whereas in this front of house, shiny entrance area floor, the slip resistance of that floor is such that one in 20 people will have to do something in order not to slip. So in other words, you're, you're relying on a significantly larger proportion of, of people to do something to avoid an accident. That helps to kind of bring it home a bit for them. So I think introducing the science and bringing home, bringing in some of these kind of human stories 
really helps. Well, so there's a couple of good things you said there. Uh, two in particular. The first one I want to talk about is the fact that you have found success in working alongside insurers, and it helps to work alongside them because what you said was it really helps to have this warm introduction. And what I see from that, that a benefit for everybody listening is whether they're in safety or they're a small business owner or dealing with a team member, whatever it is. What's interesting about what you said there was that you're using that insurer, that partner as a, almost a bridge to get a relationship started with somebody else. And I think that's valuable because even in an organization, you may be working in the, in the safety office or you may be working in the executive offices, but you want to bring out this change that's going to affect the worker, the field level personnel. Sometimes we need a bridge between us and them. Sometimes we need that third party that's kind of in the middle that has a relationship with both to, to increase that level of trust. And I really found that interesting. But the other thing I found interesting is that you were able to segue into this idea that you're there to, once you get in the front door, you try to demystify what's going on. And I, I found it interesting that you talked about scientifically measuring how slippery surface is and then talking about the difference between the kitchen floor in your house and maybe the entryway in your house. One, where you may only need somebody to self-address one in a million times when on yeah. another surface, it may be one in 20. So what I really found interesting about this is when I heard you say that, I automatically thought about systems. So what we're talking about and, and what I see is that you're looking at the human being as part of that system. And what you're trying to do is say, in this system, we know people are going to be working in it. How do we address the environment they're working in to reduce the, the focus we have on the human being having to solve all their own problems? Why can't we make the environment in which they work a system where they can do the work like they normally do engage with the environment like they normally do, but reduce that focus on them having to do something special to stay safe. Is that what I heard from that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think anytime you're relying on humans to try to do something, I think, you know, we're, we're all fallible. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if my wife's in earshot, but she can't rely on me to wash the dishes every day even. So um, <laughs> you can't really rely on humans. <laughs> are working to, uh, to to necessarily follow um, all, all the processes and do all the things that you you would like them to do. So therefore, you know you shouldn't be really trying to rely on them to to avoid accidents if you can help it. I mean, there are six um, factors or six sources of a slip, um, as we call them, to uh, to use the alliteration um, following on from our from our name. And um, human factors is, is is one of the six, but um, Three of the six are the floor, the contamination on the floor, and the cleaning of the floor. The other two are environmental factors and footwear. So you can, through a systematic risk assessment, look at all of these points and pick out the ones that you can actually influence the most. Um, and typically, the human elements of things are uh, the ones where you know you probably want to be less reliant upon them than others. I mean, if you, for example, have uh, a, a restaurant that you're operating, 
and you can put in um, good footwear, good safety footwear, or should I say slip resistant footwear because safety footwear and slip resistant footwear is not, not one and the same. Um, you know, you can see a dramatic reduction in your access and, and therefore claims and costs and, and issues through that. But, but equally, you can't control the footwear that your customers are wearing on their feet. So therefore, in, in those areas, you need to be thinking about other things. So we uh, tend to focus in on the, the floor surface and trying to manage the floor surface, uh, the cleaning of it, the contamination thereof, um, all the way through the life cycle from specification. So you know, if you can actually start with putting in a, a good floor and thinking about lighting and uh, environmental factors and so on and so forth, you've got a good chance of keeping it safe and therefore not having to rely on those human elements being perfect. Well, and that's where I find it really interesting of what you do in the broader context of what we're talking about, because if we understand that human beings are fallible, and not only are humans fallible, but from one person to another, their physical conditioning, their depth perception, their experience, the shape of their foot, their gait, all that stuff is so different from human being to human being that being able to understand the environment seems pretty important because you're talking about things like the type of flooring and the type of contamination that might be on the floor and and how that floor is clean. All of that stuff is really environmental or in other words, using a, an example of this, it really could be a systems issue even though we're talking about flooring and we're talking about people engaging with that flooring, it really has this kind of broader view of systems. So when you're, when you're in an organization or when you're dealing with that organization, I mean, it's, it's got to be different from one place to another, because if you're going yeah. into a, say, a manufacturing plant, you may have control over the type of footwear that's, that's issued to the worker or that's required that the worker wear. But in a retail shop, you don't have that control. People can be wearing, they can be barefoot, they can be wearing dress shoes, they can be wearing athletic shoes. So when you go into an organization, knowing they can be different and trying to help them become either self-aware or organizationally aware of the issues they may have to deal with, what are kind of the first steps? So you've already got into the organization and now you're trying to bring awareness to that how do you communicate that awareness how do you bring to the surface the things that they should know without getting buried in minutiae but but giving them just enough information so they want to take action what kind of things do you do to to help them understand those things and, mm -hmm. and spur them to take some action what we try to do is to uh, get out and see the real world from the perspective of their organization. So, you know, if, if you're uh, a big company and you're operating, you know, I don't know, a dozen um, hotels or a hundred superstores or whatever it is, you're not really out on the shop floor on a daily basis. And you probably don't really know what's going on uh, there for your staff or for your clients, um, you know, from, from the angle of, of slip safety. Um, of course, people know what's going on broadly in their business so what we try to do is um, as quickly as we can on that kind of journey of, of um, getting to know an organization as a, as a potential client of ours is to get out there and visit a few of their sites and actually go and do um, some assessments and pick up on all of these six factors that I mentioned um, including doing some of this this testing of the floors because I think once you can show people 
um, and really quantify where their issues are, that does help to to bring it to life. Um, and secondly, if you are out and you're speaking to their staff um, or even potentially their, their customers, you know, you'll pick up um, tidbits. I mean, I was with a car showroom company the other day and one of the guys there, the risk manager, mentioned he went to a particular store and he actually uh, slipped over as he entered through the uh, the main um, entrance. Um, and the, um, the one of his colleagues there on reception or whatever said, oh, yeah, everybody slips there. Um, but for him, it, nothing had been flagged up to him as the risk manager centrally. And they've got about 200 sites, I think. Um, that, that wasn't on his radar at all, but actually just going there and seeing it um, with his own eyes really helped and speaking to, to somebody who kind of saw that floor on a daily basis. So we try to bring it to life as much as we can on a local level uh, and then overlay that with, you know, kind of some of our experience from other sectors and with the insurers and the statistical stuff as well. Well, I find that really interesting uh, just to hit on this really quick. quick. So you go into this this building and the person you're going with, who's a, an executive level, sounds like an executive level manager or something like mm. that, slips. And somebody who works there every day actually says everybody slips there. And yep. I find that really interesting because in so many organizations, there's so much of this, this either middle or top level focus that a lot of times we're not engaged with the people that are that have their boots on the ground, that have that field level knowledge. And it seems like this one visit, I mean, just that one incident in and of itself helped change perception because it was able to be seen from that field level. And I think that's a valuable lesson for everybody that's dealing with an organizational issue or trying to make their organization better, that they need to engage with that field level personnel. They got to engage with the worker. They have to engage with the people at the pointy end of the stick because those people have, not only do they shed light on the problems, but they shed light on the solutions to those problems. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, if you spoke to every CEO of every major company, and you ask them what their number one priority was, they would probably, 95% of them would say, safety is our number one priority. It's kind of the, the dumb thing to say that. Um, and I think that most big companies do have a good safety culture at the top. But what I see is that it kind of gets lost in translation between the board level and the um, shop floor. So, for example... You might have somebody that says, yeah, safety is our number one priority. We're investing in X, Y, and Z. Um, but uh, they're operating restaurants, let's say. And the general manager of the restaurant is um, incentivized based on his profit and loss. And therefore, if he can shave off, you know, say 5% from his cleaning cost every year, which um, he could probably do by doing cleaning a bit less frequently or using perhaps slightly cheaper a chemical to clean the floor with, then he's going to look good in his um, manager's eyes and he's going to get his bonus and so on and so forth. But actually that 5% saving from the cleaning budget might, may have resulted in a massive increase in accidents and people getting hurt and claim costs and so on and so forth. So it's kind of um, maybe the message doesn't quite get, get through all the way uh, in an organization and therefore you find people working in silos or people working across purposes 
and um, you know they're not given the maybe the support that they should be given at that level because actually if safety is the number one priority they should really be told okay this is how you've got to maintain your floor from a slip perspective and this is how you've got to train your staff from a manual handling perspective and we're going to allocate you a budget for this and actually this budget we expect you to spend 100% of that and, and your bonus and your P&L and all this other stuff has nothing to do with that because that's um, obligatory it's got to be done it's safety it's really important and, you know, that would actually give more support to those people uh, down at the local level. Well, and so we're talking about support of the people at the local level, of supporting the people doing the work. And what I find interesting about where we're going with this is the fact that, okay, so you go into an organization, you get your, your feet on the ground, you take a look at the areas where people are actually walking. You're not just looking at paper. You're not just looking at statistics. You're actually there to see how for lack of a better term, how work is actually completed or how things are actually done, not yep. just what's on paper. So once you go in there, you see what's going on, you analyze, you, you figure things out, you talk to people, you look for yourself. Now you find issues. How do you communicate those issues? Because I, I know for a fact that if we communicate issues, I mean, the issues are the issues, but how we communicate those issues, it seems to be pretty important because if you communicate them in a wrong way, people get defensive, people shut down, that sort of thing. People see, oh, there's some liability here and they close off. But that doesn't do that doesn't really help us solve the problem. So when you're trying to communicate the issues you found or the things that need to be addressed, how do you communicate those in a way that is is serious and is something you need to do, but doesn't evoke the kind of raw emotion of conflict? or uh, to create somebody to be defensive. How do you talk to people to explain those issues without kind of drawing that, that line in the sand where they, they might be now seeing you as an enemy as opposed to seeing you as an ally? How do you communicate those things? It's a really good question, Mike, and it's something that um, you know, is, has to be bespoke and is something that I'm always trying to improve upon. I mean, my strong desire in, in, in doing what I do is that I don't want to be seen as kind of an ambulance chaser, you know, a kind of a no win, no fee lawyer type person looking to find every single problem and really capitalize on it and so on. So, you know, the ideal visit for me to a, uh, a building is where we can demonstrate um, through the testing and the, and the um, assessment that actually this floor's fine here, this, this floor's fine here. Um, this could be a little bit better. This one here's a problem. And therefore, you're kind of um, trying to give that really balanced view. But, I mean, fundamentally, if there's a problem, I think you have to explain it and um, tell it as it is, uh, but try and back it up, as I said earlier, with kind of some scientific proof. Um, so therefore, it's not my opinion, um, because whilst lots of people um, would say, uh, I know what I'm talking about, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody is going to believe me if I give them my opinion. But if I can back that up with um, evidence, whether that's qualitative or quantitative, and, and obviously we prefer the scientific evidence if we can, that's going to help to support things. I mean, health and safety, as you say, is, is quite... Uh, well, people can get defensive about anything, but I find health and safety... The head of health and safety in an organisation, you know, they've normally shaped and moulded 
the policies and the procedures kind of the way that they want them to be. So any um, any suggestion that they might be better could certainly be perceived as a, a criticism. Um, but I think most people in health and safety, as we touched on earlier, are looking to stop people getting hurt. Um, and actually, they will be open-minded um, about doing things differently or doing things better if you can prove to them that there's a better way of doing it. I mean, one of the challenges around um, slips, trips and falls is that people are aware of the issue, albeit, as we said, there's a bit of a perception issue about it, but they don't really know that you can test the flaws, for example. They don't really know what the um, kinds of solutions are that that can be put in place that are really practical and and really proven to work. So I think as long as you approach it in such a way that you're trying to help them and actually you're giving a balanced view um, and saying, you know, we can help you with this and this is where someone else has done this and found it useful, um, but actually this is really good and carry on as you are or or speak to this company and they might be able to help you here. In other words, you're not just trying to sell, sell, sell. You're actually trying to help them solve the problem. Then I think that's got to be the way to go. When I, I see a couple of great things you said there. So the first thing was when you go in, you find something's wrong and you want to commute the, communicate those things, you aren't going in just looking for the bad stuff. You're actually looking for the good stuff in addition to any problems you find. And by having that balanced view it sounds like that helps build trust. It helps build trust between you and who you're communicating with. So it sounds like when you're doing this sort of communication, when you're talking to people about issues, you are coming from the right place. And by coming from the right place, you're not just coming from a place where you want to sell them something or where you just want to get money from them. You're coming from a place where you're just, you're there for the right reasons. And sounds like coming from that place helps people, helps that communication process because they they build trust with you and they can see that you're not there just to make a sale, but you're there for the right reasons. Yeah, that's true. And I, I think, again, the insurance relationships and some of the other partnerships we have with flooring suppliers and health and safety consultants and FM companies and things like that all, all help. And, you know, the the big insurance companies wouldn't be partnering with us if they felt we weren't going to be going in and giving a, a balanced view. I mean, there's there's nothing worse than um, when you go into somewhere and you start doing the testing and, and all of the surfaces you're finding are really poor, uh, really slippery when wet um, in environments where they probably shouldn't be so slippery because you kind of can see the, the client or the prospect looking at you um, you know, is this guy making this up? Is this guy just trying to sell me something I don't want and so on? So and th- there are, unfortunately, uh, as I think with, with lots of, you know, kind of niche uh, industries like, like mine, there are um, some people in the market that, you know, perhaps aren't as um, trustworthy as, as others. Uh, so, you know, there is, and people have had some bad experiences in the past as well. So, you know, there are some challenges there that sometimes you need, need to overcome. But, yeah, I think, look, it's it, you've got to be um, – people have to know, like, and trust you to want to do business with you. And trust, I think, is, is really critical there. And if I'm putting my name to the business and I'm putting my name to the report and I'm putting my name to the relationship with one of my partners, then I better be sure that what I'm telling people is is true. Well, and so when you – 
when you go into a place and we're talking about communication, we're talking about you find issues. So one, you have to get your foot in the door. Two, you have to find the issues and you communicate those issues properly. But then the, the last thing is you have to communicate some solutions. Now, when you communicate those solutions, and I totally understand it when you're, when you're looking for issues, engaging the people at the field level to get their input, do you also see a value that when you come up with solutions that you engage field level personnel at that point also? Because it's not just the cost you're talking about. You're talking about instituting a change and say you come up with this, hey, this is how we're going to make this floor less slippery. But if you don't engage with the worker, sometimes that can lead to the worker now working on a floor that they won't slip on, but now makes the job they do more difficult. Like maybe they're moving pallets or they're having to drag something across the floor or move something or whatever it happens to be. Do you, when you do the, when you communicate the solution, do you see a value in continuing that framework where you're talking to all different levels of the organization to get buy-in or to get input? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because look, if we're going to be working with a client, we want the solution to actually work um, and we want to be able to track it and uh, monitor it and evidence it because you know, there's two sides to what we do. One is let's make environments safer and let's see fewer accidents. And two is let's, as a result of that, enable the client to defend um, claims better and more successfully as and when they do arrive. But I mean, if you take um, improving a floor surface's friction as one example of a solution that we might put into place. Um, you can put in um, a treated floor or you could rip up and uh, rip up the existing floor and put in a brand new floor with very good slip resistance. That floor is only going to be as good as the way it's looked after on a day-by-day basis. Now, if we can put in a good surface or treated floor to make it as good as possible, that reduces the reliance on the daily cleaning and maintenance a little bit. But if you have a, uh, I mean, if you think about a health club, um, if you go to, to pretty much any health club and you stand in the shower uh, or you go onto the poolside, you're going to see a textured floor surface. So somebody has um, thought about the fact that this floor may get wet and therefore they've decided to put in a, a textured surface on the floor. Whether or not that's the correct approach, um, uh, leave that for, for now. But um, those floors, you know, can be just as slippery as a smooth floor because if they're not cleaned very well and maintained very well, you have a layer of um, body fats and shampoos and oils and so on and so forth, which are producing a barrier between your foot or your heel coming down and the floor. So you could have a good, a good floor surface, uh, but a barrier of, of contamination. Um, that, that's, um, that's causing you to slip. So you have to engage with you know the cleaning um, staff and the local managers to really explain to them what's happening and the role that they need to play going forward in maintaining the improvements in safety that we're helping people to achieve. Well, and so I find that uh, another interesting point and one that we can we can start wrapping up the episode on is the fact that you just said it's important that they that everybody in that organization understands the role they need to play. And I find that really fascinating because one, you not only need the buy-in from executives and managers to, to fund the changes, to get them into policy, to change the processes, 
You also need the engagement of supervisors that are dealing with the workers, and you need the engagement of all different types of workers because the person working on the floor, getting the job done, may not be the same person cleaning the floor, and that person cleaning the floor may not be the same person, or they may have a different need than the person that's actually using the floor to get the job done. So it really sounds like this holistic approach is what needs to happen for for slips and, and slip prevention really needs to be a, a holistic approach from top to bottom to make some of these changes. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's why, um, regrettably, I'm not driving a Ferrari yet because um, a holistic approach to solutions does take a bit longer sometimes than, uh, than something that's very easy to put into place. But where you can achieve the holistic solution, it does really work and it's got a great chance of actually sustaining over time. And that's kind of, as I said earlier, that's, that's what we're aiming for. We're aiming to help people actually solve this problem, not put a, a band-aid over it and temporarily um, stop something from happening only to see it just return or, or even get worse. We want to see systemic fundamental changes and improvements. That's kind of our mission really to, you know, we, we believe that pretty much every slip is avoidable um, if, if people understood this subject better. So our mission is really to try to stop as many of these accidents from happening as we can. Well, I find that really fascinating and a good place to leave off. Who would have thought that two guys talking about slippery floors could cover really a systems view of change, communication tactics to use, and the importance of all these different roles people play within an organization that are super important to getting things done and really talking about dealing with problems, solving problems, addressing issues in a way that not only solves that that one problem at the kind of at the micro level, but making it workable. So at the macro level, things are still effective and efficient. I mean, this is really fascinating that we were able to talk about slips, but really in a way that is that is really fundamentally talking about human and organizational performance. I think it's really fascinating. We were able to go there in all these different ways with a with a poker player, with a guy that actually did. <laughs> but uh, I can, I can, assure, I can assure, poker. <laughs> yeah, and I can assure you that I haven't been bluffing um, throughout the whole episode as well. <laughs> Playing my, my card monitor. Um, yeah, no, I think. Look, it's it's um, it's a subject that, um, as as we've said, does end up touching on all aspects of an organisation, and it's all about human behaviour and uh, and improving the way things are done and if you can do that the rewards can be dramatic you know we in the uk have uh, one uh, person slipping over in the workplace every three minutes you know if we could have that even that would be a fantastic um result for people and, and, and a halving of accident rates is more than achievable based on you know the, the work and the case studies that we've done before uh, so you know that's got to be um an achievable goal for, for any organization, really. And so, you know, we're, we're just here to try to help people to understand this a bit more in a bit more depth um, to stop taking this kind of helicopter view uh, and uh, drill down into some of the detail a bit more. Um, and, and to that end, there's, there's a tool actually on our website which might be useful for people, which is called the Slip Safety Scorecard. Um, basically, this is a, a, a quiz, I suppose, for want of a better term, 
we ask you roughly 40 yes, no questions. So it takes about 10 minutes or five to 10 minutes to complete. And then you get a personalized report, which benchmarks you against the six sources of slips. So as we said earlier, floor, contamination, cleaning, environment, human factors, and footwear. And it gives you actionable and practical advice on how to improve your score. So that would be a good place for any listeners to start thinking about this in a more systemized way. Uh, Take the scorecard, uh, get the report, and then um, they can uh, feel free to arrange uh, a call with me. Um, No no cost to that, just to have a consultation call and we can chat it through in a bit more detail. I mean, we only really operate in the UK, but happy to help and the same principles apply to people all over the world so there's no issue with uh, with with speaking to anybody really about this and um an accident prevented in the us or in australia or anywhere else is uh, is an accident prevented at the end of the day so that's a good outcome well and so where do they go to find out more about you and to get access to the slip safety scorecard where what website is it where can they go to get more information about that so the the, the url of the website is www slipsafety.co.uk. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. So most days there's stuff coming out on LinkedIn. So you could search for me on LinkedIn. And we have a a Twitter as well, which is at slip underscore underscore safety. Regrettably, somebody had taken the uh, slip safety already. Uh, So we had to do the double underscore, but um, at least it stands out. So yeah, visit, visit the website, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm always keen to have, um, have more people on LinkedIn. And you know, we, we, I get some great engagement on lots of my posts. I did one recently about signage. Um, you know, there was a sign in a, in a washroom in a busy convention center, which said words to the effect of um, caution, floor slippery when wet, uh, which to me was a bit of a red flag because um, if they knew the floor was slippery when wet and it was in a washroom, which is an environment which is going to get wet, that's not exactly a, a nice place to be in. Uh, and then we ended up having, you know, operators and uh, as in you know, business operators, uh, safety managers, lawyers, uh, everybody was kind of weighing in with, with different views um, about, um, about this sign on, on the, uh, the floor, uh, sorry, on the wall of a, a washroom uh, in London. So um, there's some quite interesting uh, debates that can, that can go on on LinkedIn. So I encourage people to connect and, uh, and follow us on there. And yeah, the scorecard is available on the website. So um, yeah, it'd be great to, to see some listeners um, taking advantage of that. It's a, it's a free tool, so give it a go. Yeah, well, thank you very much. I mean, I really found this conversation fascinating. Again, I'm I'm almost amazed uh, just because two guys can talk about slips and floors and footwear and cleaning in a way that really has broader application and really broader lessons. So thank you so much for for really joining us on this episode and talking to us in a way that isn't just about floors are slippery and this is what you need to do to prevent it, but really in a way that can apply to different areas of what we do in organizations. So thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure, Mike. All right, great. Well, everybody, if you got value out of that conversation we just had with Christian Harris, please share the podcast, review it, and rate it, and go visit and see what Christian's doing. Take a look at slipsafety.co.uk. Take a look at that. Connect with him on LinkedIn. There are some valuable communications going on in the social media space that we can all be a part of and all learn from. So really, thank you so much for listening. 
If you get a chance, if you need anything, please visit me at crucialtalks.com and feel free to connect with me via email, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. Again, if you need anything from me, I'm here for you. So have a great week. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people. Please review, share, and subscribe to the Crucial Talks podcast. Visit crucialtalks.com.